I was the only person that was putting these limits and restrictions on what I could do in my life on myself. And it wasn't until I was 30, which in the modeling world is <laughs> you send you off to pasture. <laughs> I had the opportunity to model for Sports Illustrated. And I was the first woman with a mastectomy to model for Sports Illustrated swimsuit. Something that I never in a million years thought one I could do even before I had a mastectomy. And to do that in my 30s, post mastectomy, it was just this game changing moment for me in realizing the world was my oyster. And if you just let those naysayers and that negative talk stop you from chasing your dreams, it's going to be the most limiting thing in your life. And you just have to find a way to block out the noise. Welcome back to Experable. I'm your host, Krati Mehra. And in this show, we learn from the success and struggles of people we admire and dive deep into concepts that help us expand the possibilities available to us so we can freely, boldly design the life we desire, discover the depth and breadth of our capabilities, access the wisdom available in the world around us, and even on really bad days, love what we see in the mirror. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome back to Experable. Today I am talking to Alan Rose, who is a breast cancer advocate, a motivational speaker, an IVF mom and advocate, author and content creator. As a 24-year-old Miss America contestant, Alan made headlines across the globe with her controversial decision to undergo a preventative double mastectomy after losing her mother, grandmother, and great aunt to breast cancer. Her story inspired a whole generation of women to take charge of their healthcare choices. And to prove that your scars are beautiful, Alan also became the first woman with a mastectomy to model for Sports Illustrated Swimsuit. She's also the founder of The Previver, a nonprofit healthcare platform which serves as a resource for women undergoing mastectomy. She's also the creator of the Self-Exam Gram, a social media movement teaching women the proper way to perform a monthly self-breast exam. Alan's story and how she has approached the good and bad in her life are a testament to the power of conviction and self-belief. In this conversation, we talk about Alan's journey from being a contestant on a beauty pageant to making this life-altering decision of removing her breasts and all the challenges that came along. We learn from Alan how to maintain a healthy perspective around your appearance, especially if you don't quite like what you see in the mirror and how not to let it dictate the choices you make in life. We also talk about how to protect yourself against external negativity as you share pieces of yourself on the internet, creating online personas and not letting any of it overshadow the work that you do and so much more. This was an incredible conversation. I learned a lot from it. I hope it helps you too. So let's get to it. You've done a lot of incredible work. You also have a nonprofit that is doing incredible work in the world. So first of all, thank you so much for doing all of that. Uh, since, you know, all of us benefit from it. So thank you for that. But I have to ask, is there a commonality to all of these roles that you play? Is there a central mission that you are pursuing and, like, and intentionally picking the roles that you're playing? So I think it all really circles around breast cancer advocacy, whether I knew it or not, starting sort of each of these elements. But, um, you know, people always uh, will look at me. If you knew me growing up, we went to high school together. People would say never in a million years would I imagine that girl would do a beauty pageant or model or do any of the things that I'm, I'm doing now. Um, you know, I was a big tomboy growing up, uh, played in a punk rock band, Never in a million years would I be that girl, you know, that you imagine doing those sort of things. Um, but when I was in college, uh, I got an email that said that there was a local um, pageant that was raising money for breast cancer uh, research. And I thought, you know what, my mom would have loved for me to do something like that. You know, like I said, I was a tomboy, never wore a dress, never wore makeup. And in college, I said, you know what, let me give me myself a second and reinvent myself, like try a few new things. And so it all started with this breast cancer charity pageant. And, you know, before I knew it, I competed in that. Somehow I won. Then I got kind of bit by the bug, competed at Miss USA, competed at Miss America. Um, when I was a Miss America contestant, I had this really incredible viral moment where my story went all over the world. I had shared with a friend that I was going to have a preventative mastectomy because I lost my mom, my grandmother, my great aunt, all these women in my family to breast cancer. And so 
that viral moment changed the trajectory of my life. And I go from Miss America contestant to personal advocate to starting my own nonprofit. And, you know, everything has just sort of come from my mother's story, really. Um, and they might seem like they're all over the place, but there is that sort of central theme of, you know, this is something that I started to really honor my mom's memory. And, you know, 10, 12 years later, here we are. So that's incredibly beautiful. Uh, but I have to ask, Miss America, pageantry of any kind, uh, I'm sure there are deeper challenges to it, but it is like it encourages vanity to a degree, right? It encourages you to center what you're doing around how you look. So to be in the throes of that, to be in the thick of things where where you are participating in such a prestigious contest, and then also to make this decision uh, to get mastectomy, and we all know uh, breasts are like the most feminine part of your body, or at least that's the perception around it. For you to make that decision, what was that like? That must have needed so much courage considering what you were doing at that time. So I think for me, growing up, not being someone who um, put a lot of emphasis on the way that I look, um, and, and I know that sounds really crazy. Someone would think, okay, you know, you, you were a model, you competed in beauty pageants, you know, of course, the way that you look matters. And it does. But I think the way that you look matters to every 20 something year old, you know, it's you're coming into your body, you're coming into your femininity, like you said, so your breasts, your way you look, they impact how you face the world. So I think when I was deciding to, um, you know, have a preventative mastectomy, of course, there was an element of, well, um, this is really going to change how I look at myself is going to change the way that the world looks at me. Um, it might take away some opportunities for me. You know, maybe I might never compete in a pageant again. I might never have a modeling career, you know, all of these sort of things. And I also, I wasn't married. I didn't have any children. Um, you know, there's always the thought, what person is ever going to love the body that I have after this surgery? So it was a really um, challenging experience in that sense. But I think I went into it with long-term perspective. And I was able to put that sort of vanity on the back burner and say, hey, the way that I look doesn't matter. I want to be around for the next 60, 70 years because I knew what it was like for my mom. My mom was diagnosed with a breast cancer in her 20s. She almost didn't live to have children. And for me, I said, I never want to be in the position where I have to tell my 16-year-old daughter that she's going to live the rest of her life without her mom, like my mom did. And if that means my vanity goes out the window, it's not the most important thing. So I think having that, that good perspective, that family support, I was able to just say, this doesn't matter. My life matters. Yeah. Considering the choices. Um, yeah, I guess it, in a way, was an easy choice, but it's still, I, I don't doubt that it must have taken somewhat of a toll on you to actually go oh, absolutely process. i mean wake, waking up the next day i have no breasts i i've got these tubes hanging out of my body at the time um i had a boyfriend who was being my caretaker and i just remember looking at myself in the mirror thinking oh my god what have i done um you know how is this person ever gonna find me sexy again um you know is this gonna be the deal breaker and uh Fortunately, um, my then boyfriend is now my husband. We have a little girl, another one on the way. And um, he said, I don't care what you look like. You know, same thing. I want you to be around for the next 60, 70 years. And um, I was really, really fortunate to have that and just to have these constant vocal reminders in my ear of what was important. Um, but of course, it was a long journey of self-acceptance to get back to a point where I liked looking at what I saw in the mirror again. I think you can advise people out there who look at their bodies or look at their faces and they find all of these flaws. And, you know, everybody finds some flaw. Yeah, but of for course. Some of us, <laughs> yeah. For some of us, we are not so fortunate. We are surrounded by people who kind of are not very supportive, who in fact remind us of all our inadequacies. But when it comes to your to how you look, there is only so much you can change, right? It's genetic. And unless you're willing to throw money at it and go under the knife, there's not really much you can do about it. So to those people who allow these inadequacies to define who they are, to define standards of beauty for them, and to ultimately hold them back in life, what would you say to them? Gosh, it's tough. I think, I think we all struggle with 
self-identity and body positivity and, you know, having these sort of things. And I think um, you just have to realize that the only person who's getting in your way is you. And you can let this noise of naysayers and people who want to be critical impact your life. Or you can say, this has nothing to do with who I am as a person, the what I have to give, what I have to offer. Um, and I think sometimes you just really have to find something outside of the way that you look that you can identify with. You know, for me, once I had my mastectomy and I got to the point where I just said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be a famous model. I'm never going to be able to compete in pageants anymore. All of those uh, big dreams and hopes I had for myself, like that's off the table. And I started developing other aspects of my personality that I found value in. I started delving into um, new hobbies, uh, new talents, um, nurturing those aspects of myself that had little to nothing to do with the way that I looked. And that was so, so helpful. But then I also realized as time went on, like I said before, I was the only person that was putting these limits and restrictions on what I could do in my life on myself. And once I got past that, once I realized hey, um, just because I might have scars or I might not have the breasts that I had before, or my body might not be exactly the way that it was, that doesn't mean that I can't go out and pursue my dreams and chase those big lofty goals I had for myself. And um, it wasn't until I was 30, which in the modeling world is <laughs> you send you off to pasture, <laughs> your career is done and over with and you're, you're useless. Um, I had the opportunity to model for Sports Illustrated. And I was the first woman with a mastectomy to model for Sports Illustrated Swimsuit, something that I never in a million years thought, one, I could do even before I had a mastectomy. And to do that in my 30s, post-mastectomy, it was just this game-changing moment for me in realizing the world was my oyster. And if you just let those naysayers and that negative talk stop you from chasing your dreams... It's going to be the most limiting thing in your life. And you just have to find a way to block out the noise. That's the best advice I can give. Yeah, No, that's a beautiful message because we live in a very strange world that's constantly changing. So you never know what opportunity is going to come around. Also, I think when you dismiss yourself based on how you look, you sort of you're deciding a future that hasn't played out yet. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. And then also the standard of beauty changes every 30 seconds. So, you know, what's what's in now, what's popular now, what you think you, you want to look like or who you want to emulate. I mean, 20 seconds later, it's going to be somebody else. So you just have to find that. I hate using the term inner beauty, but you really have to find something about yourself where you say, hey, I, I like who I am. And I heard this great thing actually this morning. I was like scrolling through TikTok or something like that. And someone was saying, you know, if you if you focus on loving yourself, it's almost a limiting thing because you're on the outside looking in at like this idea of who you are. But if you focus on loving the experience of being you, the experience of being yourself, that is such a freeing an amazing thing where you're able to come together to grow to love yourself as you change along the way and i just found that to be a very very powerful thing that is a powerful message yeah that's a beautiful message i wish the entire world could internalize that um well you know recently uh i'm not uh, fully like i don't have all of, all the information on this but there you know i think it was the miss america pageant itself wherein a transgender woman who was formerly a man won the contest didn't that just happen very recently in the u.s so um the miss universe pageant allows transgender contestants okay. um they have mm -hmm. had uh numerous transgender winners so spain a couple years ago um was a transgender woman um the new owner of the organization so of all of miss universe organization is a transgender woman so they're really making um, strides towards being more inclusive in that sense. But the actual winner has not been a transgender woman yet. Oh, all right. But there was a part of me that was like, okay, so even that's possible, right? Something that as a child, when I, I'm also like 31, so, and also I've never considered participating in beauty contests, but when I was growing up and every girl at some point in her life thinks about this stuff. So that right. was not a possibility. Maybe. You see it on TV. It's like the big exactly. dream. Exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, I come from a very conservative family. So the first time my mother saw me playing with the lipstick, she just knocked it out of my hand. She's like, go study. <laughs> so yeah, it's only later you understand that, oh, you know what? This is just as hard as getting a master's, <laughs> if not harder. Because right, right. yeah, so much of it is completely out, outside your control. So I feel like anybody who is too focused on beauty, I think their life is tougher because there's just so much you can do with it. But I also feel like you got offered that Sports Illustrated shoot. Uh, I think that in itself shows you that the world is changing. People are changing. Perceptions are shifting. So what was so important yesterday, as you said, it may not be so important tomorrow. So, But if you close off your options, then you've already shrunk your life and yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I grew up and I've always had really thin lips. It's just my genetics. It's who, who I am. And I remember working and sitting in the modeling chair and I'd look over and I'd see these women with these big, full, beautiful lips and always, you know, want to emulate that. And uh, this makeup artist one day, she was like, oh, you know, you just have, um, you have Bo Derek lips. And it just made me realize like, you know, 20 years ago, maybe my lips were the trend, but what we're seeing now is it's completely different and things are just so circular and they're changing. And if you're constantly trying to hop on the trend of what's beautiful now, you're never going to be satisfied because once you achieve it, boom, we're on to the next thing. Yeah. And so you just really have to, to find that balance of being comfortable with yourself. It's okay to follow trends and to be interested in those things. But when you're going to these absolute extremes to emulate what's trendy now it never works out for you long term i uh, yeah i'm with you on that completely and i also feel for this younger generation that feels way more pressure to do all of this than we ever did because we we did yeah. grow up with social media but it wasn't so invasive like at least for me it was very controlled till like a certain age and then i wasn't really into it as much till i started running my business and then it became yeah. and even so, because we grew up differently, we don't care so much about the likes and the followers. At least I think so. Like the millennials don't care as much as this next generation does. So I do feel for them. I think it's amplified all of this obs uh, obsession with physical appearance and with how your life looks from the outside. It's so much more amplified. So I do feel for them. And I think you have done an amazing job of, at least for whoever is familiar with your content, is familiar with your story, uh, in helping them realize that, you know what, this is not all there is to you. And I think that's so, so important. So I, I really hope that this sinks in, that no matter your limitation, not just physical, that is more beyond that. Um, yeah, so I love that. And now I have to ask you, like, as you made that switch from uh, participating in that pageant to becoming this advocate and spreading awareness around breast cancer and openly talking about your own experience with going through the mastectomy, which in itself couldn't possibly have been easy. And it was highly emotional also because you were talking about your mom, but you gave all of these incredibly intelligent speeches on the subject. And, and you were, despite the emotionality of the subject, you were very articulate, you got your point across and just there must have been a very like a switch of mindset and a, like some gears must have shifted for you to go from being a contestant on a beauty show to doing all of this work what was that like well it, it wasn't sort of an overnight thing of course I had this uh big viral moment where I was sort of thrust into the the spotlight when it comes to uh, making this healthcare decision um and I was on all these talk shows and doing these things I had the opportunity to give a TED talk um, but I think my life prior to competing in pageants sort of led me to that. You know, I always wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I've always loved public speaking. Uh, and so all of those skills came with me along the way. And it was a bit of a natural transition, but I did have some time to really build on it and um, get experience sharing. I feel like there's something, either it's a wire or screw loose, or it's something beneficial, I don't know, but I've always felt very, very comfortable speaking about my mother's story. Um, and maybe that's because, you know, one of the last things my mom said to me was, you know, don't, don't let my life be in vain. Um, you know, she wanted to have me write a book about her life or something. She just didn't want it to end in that moment. And, you know, I can't imagine how terrifying it is to know this is it. And so I made it really a mission for me to to not only share my personal story, but why my mom's story was impactful for me 
and has encouraged me to have this long-term perspective to go out to, to share the message. And so I don't know, it's, uh, it's come a little bit naturally to me, I have to say that. But what I didn't realize was the type of emotional fatigue that I would have over time, because you're talking about death, death, death all the time. And you don't realize that it's just sort of picking and, you know, wearing at you a bit. And I did have to take a moment and just say, hey, I, I need a break for a while. I can't really do this anymore. I can't have my entire life be talking about how my mom died. Um, and I think anybody who works in, in the advocacy space, particularly in healthcare, has had that sort of past trauma, can understand that sometimes it really does weigh heavy on you. Um, yeah. You know, my mom passed away, uh, gosh, it's coming up on like 20 years now. Um, but I miss her every day. It's still a raw thing in my life. You know, I had a little girl two years ago. I've got another one on the way. And it's a daily reminder that I don't have my mom here. And so it's just a different type of mourning. But it's also inspiring to me to say, hey, um, my life has really come full circle now. All of these healthcare choices that I made to be around for my future husband, for my future children, I'm living yeah. that future now. And that's a special moment. And to know that, you know, the gift I gave my children of having a mother who's here um, is a very, very rewarding experience. That you are very courageous. And you, I bet your mom is super proud wherever she is. She's very proud of so all much. the work you've done. Yeah. Um, I wish she was here. I'm sorry that you ever had to go through that loss. But yeah, uh, we in uh, Hinduism, we believe that everything happens for a reason. I think all religion believe that. Uh, and if that's true, I think that is very true for you because your mom, even though she was no longer around, she gave you and just, she kept giving you all of these gifts. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I say this all the time and people might think it's a little bit crass, but um, losing my mom led to some of the greatest experiences of my life. You know, I, I probably never would have competed in pageants. I never would have had that opportunity to really have these, these crowning achievements where I got to walk on stage in front of millions of people and feel glamorous and beautiful and experience that, you know, I yeah. wouldn't have had this platform to, to share with my generation about, you know, self-advocacy and all of that. Um, I probably never would have met my husband. I wouldn't have my children. My life would be very, very different. And of course, you know, you always say I'd give anything to have my mom back. But at the same time, I'm very fortunate for having this experience in my life that has led to so many other wonderful things. And I said, this is not going to be the most defining moment of my life. I'm going to let it be a catalyst for, for greater things. Yeah, you have truly done that. I have to say, in fact, uh, like anybody who follows you on Instagram is aware of just how much of your life and especially the the tougher parts of it you share with other people and it amazes me because i'm so protective of my uh, private life that i'm always amazed when people can you know share their personal life especially when they can share the stories of loss and and like you've shared a lot of your ivf journey as well you've shared about your miscarriage which was uh, painful to listen to I, I can't imagine what it was like for you to actually talk about it so why do you do that and and what is that like putting so much of your life out there for people and you have to be aware that yes there will be people who will benefit from it and who will be considerate and respectful of what you're doing but there will also be people who will have opinions that will not be so supportive and they will have no qualms in voicing those opinions and in shoving them at you yeah so, sure <laughs> Well, I always think when I'm going through a challenging time, there's there's nothing like having somebody else who can just say, hey, me too. And you find that empathy in another person. And that's that's not the case for everybody. I think uh, sometimes people like to have you know their moment to themselves. But for me, community has always really been helpful. And so I just thought, you know, I, I'm obviously not the first woman to have a miscarriage. I'm not the first woman to go through IVF. I'm not the first woman to have a mastectomy. But I knew what it was like preparing and planning and experiencing all of these things and sometimes feeling like I was the only person in the world going through what I was going through. And it just made me realize um, how important it is to share and to destigmatize the the pain and the fear and just sometimes how normal these things are. What 
I didn't realize until I had a miscarriage, like one in four women have a miscarriage in their life. That is mind blowing to me. And the fact that women don't talk about it and it's shrouded in secrecy and you're just supposed to suffer in silence. And, you know, the fact that we don't tell people we're pregnant until we're 12 weeks along because then it's safe. I mean, that's so sad to me. You're, you're having to, you know, uh, hold this joy and this exciting moment in your life back because you're scared that you might have to talk about having a potential miscarriage. And I just said, you know, if I'm sharing all the positives, I'm sharing the wins. I want to share the failures too, because that's part of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I share a lot about my life online. I don't share everything. Um, and I think that helps too. You know, there are things that I keep private to myself and, um, you know, your persona online is one thing from the person that you are. I try to be as authentic as I can, but with limitations. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, it's hard to write the posts and click publish and putting it out there for the world to, to judge and consume. But I've been very fortunate to have a really positive audience. Every once in a while, you've got some nasty person that has something to say, but you know, if you're able to look at it in the perspective of for every one message, there's a hundred positive messages. It makes the sharing a little bit easier. Yeah. But I have to ask you like, because now there is this accepted belief that content is king. Content has to be, no matter Mm -hmm. your industry, it simply has to be a part of your um, working process, your work process, your business processes, because it is what will get you all the success. So everybody needs to be visible now which is i think for some of us very difficult to do so how do you manage not to let the external negative you said there's one negative message but there are 100 positive ones but we all know that we are wired to focus on that one negative one so much more than the 100 positive ones so how do you not let that negativity considering that you're sharing something so personal something so like you're making yourself so vulnerable how do you not let that negativity seep into who you are and the positive that you're trying to create in your life. Yeah, I think when it comes to having those little negative voices uh, be the thing that's at the forefront, um, I guess I have to say I've had a lot of practice not letting it bug me. When I first started out, I remember so vividly, I feel like this is burned into my my psyche. Um, I was on a pageant message board, and this is when I first started sharing my story as a Miss America contestant. And someone said, Oh, Alan Rose, she's a nasty opportunist who's used her mother's death to help her win beauty pageants. And oh, oh was that a gut punch? Because I just, you know, I went down the rabbit hole of, oh my gosh, am I doing that? Am I sharing the story for the wrong reasons? Um, is this manipulative? Um, is this self-serving? And it just ate away at me for years and years and years. And there would always be these little comments here and there, people saying, oh, she's never actually going to have a mastectomy. This is just a storyline that she came up with to, to try to win Miss America. And, um, you know, I really would let it bug me in the beginning. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that when people speak about you like that, it says a lot more about them than it does about you. And I've realized, man, how unhappy does someone have to be to sit behind a computer and talk about basically a little girl who's lost her mom and who's sharing the story. Like This is either, you know, some contestant who's like competing with you and feeling jealousy and envy or something, or like someone's mom, you know, nobody else yeah. is on these message boards talking about these things. And how sad if an adult is out there sharing that kind of vitriolic language about somebody else and someone else's experience that they haven't lived and they don't understand. And so I just realized that a lot of times it's coming from a place of hurt and it's a place of hurt with them. And that helps me reframe things and not take it personally because, you know, at the end of the day, you can only do so much. You can only be representative for so many different people, but your message is valid and there's somebody out there who needs to hear what you have to say. Yeah. I can't even imagine being in that moment, reading a message like that. Um, yeah. But I have to say, like, they say hurt people hurt people. And at the same time, exactly. like, I get it. I get we live in a very strange world where we there are people who are corrupt and who are were willing to trade their integrity for personal gain. But 
at the same time, I also feel like even when you are looking at someone's life and thinking, this is suspicious, this person is not what they're appearing to be, to actually put that in words, I think it takes a certain kind of person to do that. Because if you have nothing yeah. kind to say, much rather, you know, hold your silence, not say anything at all, and not be a reason yeah. that there is something negative out there. So I get, I completely get what you're saying. And I hope that this, um, if my listeners are hearing this and they are struggling with this, they remember that. Because it takes a certain kind of person to say something so vicious. Mm-hmm. Like that message. When I, just, I just think like, you also have too much time on your hands. You know, there are not <laughs> yeah. enough hours in a day for me yeah. to like be on the deep depths of the internet going on someone else's social media page to uh, leave right. a message anonymous or not. Like, man, I wish I had the luxury of being able to talk trash to people. Like not enough hours in the day. Yeah, it's true what they say. Nobody, like we constantly feel like, oh, I wonder what they're thinking about me. They're really not. Nobody's thinking about you. Right. Because like if I see something and I don't like it, I'll just press that cross button and I'll close the window and I'll move on. So yeah, I'm not Mm going to sit there and turn into a freaking troll and be like, oh, let me just get this person now. (laughs) That would be very, very strange. You think about like going out in public, right? Like, you know, the, all these times like, ah, oh, people are going to like my outfit. Like, it, do I have spinach in my teeth? People are very self-absorbed and they're worried about the spinach in their teeth and they're worried about their outfit and whether their partner thinks they look good. So nobody's looking at you. Like I've realized this as I've gotten older, like yeah, it's the last thing that you need to worry about because everyone else is in their own little bubble. Yeah. When I was younger, I had like years and years of extreme cystic acne so much so that people thought I was, I had contagious skin disease or chicken pox or something like that. So I would be asked to leave the public places, the restaurants, which is very, <laughs> it was acne, but it was like, it was all over my face. It was pain, physically painful because if you've ever had a cystic acne, you know that thing is not easy to carry around. And then to yeah. have all of these people laughing at me. So I took like a completely defiant stance where I just stopped caring about how I looked and just like wouldn't even look in the mirror if I didn't have to absolutely and it became like it went so far that I would go to like very prestigious events in my sweatpants then finally somebody had to sit me down and be like okay you've taken it too far now (laughs) you have to stop (laughs) showing up to places in your sweatpants so but I have to say just going through all of those years I continued to rack up achievements like I was a student at the time I was very young Mm -hmm. my studies didn't suffer my career did not suffer I uh, was able to do everything that I wanted to do and no and the moment that I stopped considering the, those statistic acne to be a problem they stopped being a problem right I don't know if that's helpful when or you not you but... do that armor the armor on right yeah. and acne is such a <laughs> a sensitive thing and I mean fortunately um I I had I, I don't want to say bad acne because there's a difference between bad acne and bad acne, but <laughs> I did have acne growing up and cystic acne and scarring and all these kinds of problems. And it, man, does it impact how you face the world and how you think about yourself and how people respond to you. Um, and fortunately I had a sister-in-law who was able, she's an esthetician that, you know, completely changed my life and cleared up my skin. Um, but when I see uh, other people who are really suffering with, deep cystic acne, like how internally and outwardly painful that has to be. And you really do have to sort of, like you were saying, put this armor on and whether that's just completely ignoring, you know, the problem and saying, Hey, I'm not, you know, looking at anything when it comes to my face, when it comes to the clothes, all the things like it's, it's a brave thing to be able to do that because not that many people have the power to, I think, compartmentalize it and say, hey, there are other aspects of me that have nothing to do with, you know, what's on my face right now. Yeah. It took me a while to realize that the, the defense mechanism had sort of become toxic because while I wouldn't care about how I looked, I also had this narrative playing in my head that I am ugly. Like I, my mm-hmm. physical appearance should never be the point of focus because if it were to become the focus, all the opportunities will be denied to me. So I did subconsciously mm-hmm. believe it. It took me a while to realize that when people were like, why don't you ever wear cosmetics? Why don't you ever like do something with your hair? My hair is curly, but my hair is also like, it's not, I, I just have never paid attention to it. So I don't know how to manage this stuff. So people would say comments, stuff like that. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. But then at some point I had to realize I do care. It's just that I can't afford to actually let that in, let that 
be the focus. Mm -hmm. So I do get it. And I do think that there is a disconnect because when we see someone going through what we have gone through, we feel like, oh, my heart goes out to this person. But this is this is not something that defines this person. I will not look at this person or judge them based on these qualities. But we continue to do that to ourselves, which is... Yep. Very, like, we don't even realize it and we do it. <laughs> Counterproductive. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. And I think it's, um, you know, it's it's easier to have empathy for other people, but it's really hard to have empathy for yourself, right? And yeah. so I think we have to, you know, I always say, like, give yourself grace. Like, there have been so many moments in my life where I just said, oh, you know, why can't I handle this better? Why am I having this emotional response? Um, you know, when I had a child, you know, how, how difficult it was. And, you know, I think I struggle with a bit of the baby blues or postpartum depression. I'm like, God, women have been having children for centuries. And like, why am I sitting here boohooing about this moment when there are people who would, you know, give their right arm to have a baby and how dare I, you know, uh, feel sad about this. And I had a friend who said to me, you know, it's possible to grieve and be grateful at the same time. And that was one of those like life-changing yeah. moments for me where I just said, okay, yeah, the two are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> I'm allowed to feel both ways. And that has been very freeing for me. And every time I'm having uh, a struggle, I try to remember that quote. Yeah. It, your positivity comes across, um, you know, in your content and then how I've seen you talk about some of the most challenging uh, subjects in a very happy, very positive way, which is not easy to do. So I think that sets a good example. But it also makes me wonder, first of all, did you ever outgrow that image completely where you were this contestant on a beauty pageant? Did you do you feel like you outgrew that as you started talking about uh, all of these very serious topics? Or did, did that follow you? No, I think it's definitely followed me. And I have a very, very positive view of women who compete in pageants. And I think they get a bad a bad rap and people like to talk about how they're superficial and 100% based on your looks. And it really couldn't be further from the truth. And I say that not because I've competed and I'm trying to defend myself, but because the most accomplished women and the best friendships that I've ever had and women who have continued to be a support system for me over the years, most of them are women that I've competed in pageants with, you know, and they've gone on to do incredible things. And when I say incredible, it's not just doctors and lawyers. It's, you know, women who are the most amazing moms that I've ever seen, you know, women who are out there going, sharing their messages, being support systems for others. And um, they're women who came up in these systems. And I feel like a lot of who I am and the resiliency that I have and my ability to do the things that I'm doing now are because of skills and traits and having other women rub off on me through pageants. And so, um, you know, I'm, it's something I'm very proud of. It's something I hope will be a footnote in, you know, my bio and who I am for the rest of my life, because it is, you know, it's part of me and, um, you know, it has been become part of, you know, what do they say? It's not, it's not the whole book, but it's a chapter, but you know, it's a very important chapter in my life. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. So you would say that, you know, it's vital to be comfortable with each individual piece of your identity. Yeah. And I think um, you can also not like chapters of your life and say, mm -hmm. hey, this was you know, a mistake or I didn't like doing this. But uh, I've never regretted any moment of my life because it's led me to where where I am. And there have been ups and downs and definitely uh, things that, you know, <laughs> Hindsight being 2020, I might have done differently, but, um, you know, I am who I am because of all of those experiences together. Yeah, that's a very positive view of it. And I wish more people would adopt that. You can't live, regret anything if it has led to who you are today. And if you love that person, then you have to love everything that led up to it. I really appreciate you well, sharing. it's okay, that. too, to, like, yeah. I think, put the bad experiences in a box and lock mm -hmm. them away for later. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you have to focus, you have to heal in the moment. I'm not that kind of person. Okay. Sometimes I literally have to like package away the trauma, like put it on a shelf yeah. and get to the point where I'm like ready to process it and take it off. <laughs> and that I think has served me really well. Um, and it might not be until like years later that I deal with the issue, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. we always come back to it. And sometimes you're just in a better, braver, um, yeah more energetic place to deal with 
issues and trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that's like, that's uh, a healthy approach too. I'm a, I'm a bit of an all or nothing kind of person. I, I go like, <laughs> if I don't deal with this, somebody's going to use it against me. I have a, I'm a dramatic person. So, <laughs> well, I just think like, you know, it's, it, what is that adage that they use in the airplane? Like you have to put your mask on before helping others. Wow. And like, you yes. can't like pour from the empty cup. So yeah. sometimes like you're just grasping at nothing. Like there's no energy to give. There's no, there's no you to deal with the trauma in the moment. And you just got to give yourself time to like come up for air before you handle the tough times. And like, that's okay too. Yeah. That's uh, actually a wonderful way of looking at it. And I think that that can be very helpful. And it also kind of makes sense because even our brain deliberately suppresses things. So that has to be a healthy one of the ways, uh, one of the healthy ways of dealing with uh, the things that don't go your way, because if your brain right. is is wired to do it as a defense mechanism, then it's clearly something that's helpful. So I guess what you're what you're saying is is right, and you can shove it aside and keep moving forward if that is the method that serves you best. So definitely, that that seems healthy enough. Um, but I have to ask you, like. You've done. You've played so many roles, so many very different roles. All of them have such a high degree of importance in the work that you've done um, out there in the world. And obviously, it all accumulates, right? Because of, thanks to the internet, nothing disappears anymore. So all of it mm-hmm. follows you. So do you, as you are now running a business that's like you already have a nonprofit, but you're also running a for-profit business. So as you're running that business as a business owner, do you feel like there is already an established identity out there? Uh, that restricts what you can put now share as a business owner or you just are determined to stand in your truth and be 100% authentic without giving much thought to the brand identity that maybe is best for your business? Um, I think I always, if I'm going to do something, I want it to be something that naturally flows for me and makes sense for me. So I don't think that there's... um, you know, really anything that I might pursue or do in my life where I feel like my my past or the things that I've done are is going to negatively impact how people view me. Um, and, you know, I'm not really sure, like, you know, maybe running for public office someday, that's something that you know, I've, I've always wanted to do. And like, you know, people might have a negative view of like, oh, this girl competed in Miss America, competed in Miss USA, whatever, she's vapid and shallow. Um, but I would hope that the other things that I've done in my life speak for themselves. And there's always going to be somebody that has something nasty to say or doesn't like you or thinks you don't represent them. Um, And so I think you just have to go into new chapters of your life and and new passions and projects uh, building upon what you have instead of having to completely compartmentalize it and say like, okay, this is the former me. And like, now this is the business owner me. I love that you said that because a lot of people try to adopt that approach, that clear demarcation of territories. But considering we're we're human beings, that's not actually (laughs) possible. And would you agree that we really cannot judge the perception before we put something out there? Because people are people are weird these days. They just have these unique perspectives that you just simply don't see coming, especially in America. I think we like in India is still um sort of conservative in some ways in some ways it's adopting a very modern approach so we kind of see where this is going to go but with america like i work with so many americans i hear a lot of like the things that go on in your country and i would be like oh my god this is a thing this is a thing Mm -hmm. that people are fighting for and in a way it's beautiful but at the same time i could not have imagined this becoming such a huge issue so i feel like the public perception is very unpredictable so i think would you say that it's okay to go ahead and put out there what you feel is your truth and not worry so much, even if you are trying to create a brand identity? Yeah. I mean, and I think um, it's not healthy to do something where your, your past identity negatively impacts, you know, what you're doing, because I feel like that's really, that's really limiting. And uh, it's almost like, I think it's like a lie, you know, when you have a lie, you have to, use more lies to cover up, you know, the lie. And when you're doing something that doesn't naturally make sense with who you are and the things that you've done within reason, of course, like if you're 
crazy criminal and you've done these things like okay maybe you don't want to share that past but you're just a normal person who's you know done things experienced stuff um i would find it to be exhausting to have to constantly shield my current business or venture from what i've done in the past so that's just not something that i choose to do for myself like i'm too tired at this point in my life to have to do that so like i am i'm a package (laughs) deal like this is who i am and if people don't like it okay Um, but I do think that I'm also a very different person in person. Um, you know, obviously like you have an internet persona and I try to be authentic, but it's not the whole picture and it's not the whole story. And I always find it really funny when people meet me, they're like, wow, you are not at all. Like I expected you to be. And I'm like, (laughs) like not showing my personality out there, but I think there's just a natural guardedness and like trying to perform and particularly when you compete in pageants, like they was called a pageant patty. Like you, you're putting on this, you know, the costume and the whole deal and like how you're presenting to the world is very professional. And then when people meet me in person, they're like, wow, you really shoot from the hip. Like you've got this dark sense of humor. Um, I never would have you know, expected that of somebody like you because they have this idea of who you are. So I always find it really refreshing to get to meet people in the flesh because there's something about the screen that doesn't tell the whole story. Now you are running a business. So I uh, love, I'm very fascinated by the routines that people follow. And you obviously, as I said, like you juggle so many roles. You're also a mom, which is uh, the toughest job in the world. So also the most important. So business owner, taking care of your kid, running a nonprofit, which has a gravity all its own, and also advocating for all of these issues that clearly they need you, that community needs you. So how do you balance it, the kind of rituals you follow every day too, that help you maintain your sanity as you juggle all these roles? Well, I will be the first to say that there is no schedule. (laughs) Um, I am like the least organized person on the planet. And I don't know how I do it. I think becoming a mom I have really realized like it's the first time where I'm like, man, there are only so many hours in the day and like you got to, you can't do it all. Um, And so um, it becoming a mom has made me realize like there's a small, small window of when I have to get stuff done. So that has given me more structure in my life than I've ever had before because I've always had this like fly by the seat of my pants sort of schedule where it's like, oh, every day changes and I just figure it out. Um, but now it's like, okay, I wake up, I send my daughter to nursery. She's in nursery from, you know, this time until this time. And that's when I have to get stuff done because it's really the only hours in the day. So that helps structure things, but I would be a big fat liar to say that I like have a bunch of rituals and I use my planner and I do this and that, like it's a state of chaos (laughs) every single day somehow most of the things get done, but not all of the things get done. So if anyone out there is like looking to me for advice, like I'm the worst person. Like I will be great is to have like a personal assistant who could really like get, get in there and make me be organized. And I always wonder like, man, how many things I could accomplish if I was just a little bit more, more organized. But unfortunately not, not who I am as a person wasn't blessed with that gift. I love that answer because I think more and more of us need to know that this is also a way of getting things done. You, there is, we oh, all chaos. have these, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like periods in our life where things are going to be chaotic. If you have a kid, the kid has, kid trumps everything, right? Yeah. So yeah, even that is a way like that there is, this is also a type of process of getting things done and building a career. So I love that answer. Absolutely love it. Um, now my last question um, I make, this one a fun one so you're a very dedicated mom we know that uh so if you had the superpower where you could that you could use to incept one idea or one belief in the mind of every child in the world this one idea will take root and be like a strong force in that kid's life what would that one idea or belief be oh i don't know why it's like getting me emotional but i think the the best gift that my parents ever gave me was a sense of personal efficacy. And I think as I get older, sometimes now it's like a delusional self-confidence. But I found it to be 
such a gift to never in my life feel like I couldn't do something that I wanted. And I don't know how, how they really um, instilled that in me, but I think it, it's multifaceted where my parents would never look at someone else's success and say, Ugh, why do they have that? Or, oh, I want that. There was envy was not an okay word in our household. It was always, you know, these are aspirational figures. And if you want that, you can have it. You just have to work hard. And it was really like down to like, you want to be an astronaut? Cool. You can do it. You want to be the president of the United States? Absolutely. You can do that. You want to be a mom? You want to be a lawyer? You want to do all of these sort of things? It's just hard work. It's determination. You have the ability to do whatever you want. It's just working hard. And like, don't you dare fault that other person who has something that you want because you don't have it yet. You have no idea how much hard work and determination and everything that went into what they have and the challenges and the doors that were shut in their faces. And so I think now that I'm older, I, I realize what a gift that is because I see so many of my friends who are crippled with fear and anxiety and feeling like, oh, I can't do that. And it's so limiting and it's so sad because there are people with so much potential and they, like we mentioned throughout this whole podcast, they get in their own way. So my dream would be that every child grows up with the same sense of I can do whatever I want to do if I just work hard enough. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's something that I always am really grateful. I, I look back on my mom and my time with her and it was this very short 16 years, but the gifts that she was able to instill in me in that short period of time, I, I'll be forever grateful. And I hope I'm able to do that from, my daughters as well. So sorry to get so emotional, but no, no, very on. poignant yeah. question. Thank you. And you gave a very, very beautiful, beautiful answer. And I hope it comes true. I hope, um, if not through superpowers, just through good upbringing, we are all able to put those ideas into the minds of every kid out there. And Nobody ever doubts themselves and they go for whatever it is that they want. That would be a beautiful world to live in. A lot less hate, a lot less envy. Well, what do you know? We've reached the end of this episode. Thank you so much for joining me today, for supporting the podcast and for sharing your time with me. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show on whatever podcast platform you love. You can also watch the video version of the interviews and most of the solo episodes on my YouTube channel. Link is in the episode description. Now, if you made it this far, you must love the content at least a little bit, or maybe you just like hanging out with me, or there was something in this particular episode that resonated with you. Or maybe it's all of those things. I would love to know. So if you've got a minute, it will be great if you can drop a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can send me your thoughts on the show via email. Now, if you want content that goes deeper than even the podcast does with a lot of real life stories, one-on-one -on -one interactions, or just become part of my tribe, subscribe to my weekly newsletter. The link is in the episode description. Once again, thank you so, so much for sharing your time with me. Take care and I will be back soon with the next episode. Mm -hmm.